Hello, my name is Josh Roan, and I'm lead pastor here at Zion Church, a United Methodist congregation in York, Pennsylvania. We're a church with a physical location, but we also have an online presence each and every weekend. But today, I want to thank you for joining us for our podcast, something that's a little bit different rather than the songs and the hymns and all those different things that are part of our regular weekend experiences. This is just the main scripture and the sermon, an opportunity for us maybe to hear again God's word, which we tuned into this weekend, or maybe an opportunity to hear it afresh and anew. So I would encourage you as the week begins to listen in and to lean in to what God is saying to you. Thank you for joining us. Lord, thank you for all that you are and all that you do for us. Open our hearts and our minds to hear your words and follow your plan for us. Amen. Uh, today I'll be reading from Isaiah 62, uh, 1 through 5. <clears throat> Isaiah's prayer for Jerusalem. Because I love Zion, I will not keep I will not keep still. Because my heart yearns for Jerusalem, I cannot remain silent. I will not stop praying for her until her righteousness shines like the dawn and her salvation blazes like a burning torch. The nations will see your righteousness. World leaders will be blinded by your glory, and you will be given a new name by the Lord's own mouth. The Lord will hold you in his hands for all to see, a splendid crown in the hand of God. Never again will you be called the forsaken city or the desolate land. Your new name will be the city of God's delight and the bride of God, for the Lord delights in you and will claim you as his bride. Your own children will commit themselves to you, O Jerusalem, just as a young man commits himself to his bride. Then God will rejoice over you as a bridegroom rejoices over his bride. And I'm going to ask this morning, because this is our gospel lesson, that you'd stand. I'm going to be reading verses 1 through 11 of this, the second chapter. John writes, on the third day, there was a wedding in Cana of Galilee, and the mother of Jesus was there. Jesus and his disciples had also been invited to the wedding. When the wine gave out, the mother of Jesus said to him, They have no wine. And Jesus said to her, Woman, what concern is that to you and to me? My hour has not yet come. His mother said to the servants, Do whatever he tells you. Now standing there were six stone water jars for the Jewish rites of purification, each holding 20 or 30 gallons. Jesus said to them, fill the jars with water, and they filled them up to the brim. He said to them, now draw out some and take it to the chief steward. So they took it. When the steward tasted the water that had been come wine and did not know where it had come from, though the servants who had drawn the water knew, the steward called the bridegroom. And he said to him, Everyone serves the good wine first and the inferior wine after the guests have become drunk. But you have kept the good wine until now. Jesus, Jesus did this, the first of his signs in Cana of Galilee, and revealed his glory. And his disciples believed in him. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. 
Please bow with me in prayer. Gracious God, our Heavenly Father, we bow before you again, and Lord, we thank you for this day that you have made. We thank you for the promise of Scripture that we're two or three gathered together in your name, that you are there with them. And so, Father, we thank you that even now your Spirit is moving in our midst. But even more importantly, we thank you that your Spirit is moving in our lives. That even now your Spirit is opening our eyes that we might see more clearly the truth that you have for us about your will and your way and how it relates to how we live our lives each and every day. And Lord, we thank you that even now your Spirit is unclogging our ears that we might hear your voice in fresh, new ways. And Lord, we thank you as well that your Spirit is preparing our hearts and our lives that, Lord, they would be ready to receive that truth, to accept it and live it out so that you might be honored and glorified all the days of our lives. So, Father, we do ask that you would accomplish your good, pleasing, and perfect work in us today. Lord, may this space become holy. May it become a place where we encounter you today and are forever changed because of it. And so now, Lord, I ask humbly that you would speak through me this morning. Or I ask that you'd speak in spite of me. But I pray that regardless, your word would go forth and that we, your people, would be changed because of it. It is in Christ's name and to his honor and glory that we ask all these things. And together, all God's people said, Amen. You may be seated. Well, earlier this week, I was thinking back to New Year's Eve, and I was thinking back in particular not to the New Year's Eve that took place a couple of weeks ago, but the New Year's Eves that I had as a child. I remember thinking back to when I was probably in that seven to nine years of age range, and the joy and the delight, the eager anticipation that we had every single New Year's. I was so excited, and I didn't want to miss it when that clock turned from 11.59 to midnight. The old year gone, the new year coming, and it was always an exciting time. But since I usually didn't stay up that late, around 11.30, I'd tend to crash. And maybe like many a kid on New Year's Eve from that 11.30 to 11.45 time, I remember sitting on the couch and I kind of had that glossed over, rather glassy look in my eyes as I watched TV and as Dick Clark did his thing. And as he tried to entertain us, keeping us with rapt attention to that moment when the clock struck 12 and the ball fell and the hoops and the haulers would occur. And I also remember that as a kid, we would sit there watching all this take place and oftentimes we had pots, pans, and spoons in our hands. Because when the new year dawned, when that clock struck 12, we'd hoop and we'd holler, then we'd hammer the spoon on the back of the pan and we'd parade around the house, sometimes inside, and if it was warm enough, we'd go outside and probably, much to the chagrin of our neighbors, would make a bunch of a noise. I thought back to those memories. I thought back to those fond memories of New Year's Eves gone by. But I have to confess, as I got a little bit older, that's not what we would do. Staying up became not such a big deal. It became a regular occurrence for most every weekend. And so we would kind of tame down and temper our celebrations of New Year's. The pots and the pans would be replaced with soda and hot dogs, pork and sauerkraut. There'd be board games. Now, that's not to say it wasn't fun. It's not to say that it wasn't enjoyable or something that I look back on with fondness. 
But things became much quieter, much more reserved, maybe even mundane, we might say. I just didn't have that same sort of rapt attention where I was eager to sit there and watch the clock change one minute to the next, one year giving way to the next. In fact, just a few weeks ago, we did celebrate New Year's. We went from 2021 to 2022, and you know where I found myself? found myself in my living room over at the parsonage. Things were rather quiet. We had had dinner with some friends earlier in the evening, and Crystal was sitting in her chair, and the kids were on the couch, and we had the TV on, and not really paying attention, but we kind of hoped that soon the ball would drop so we could go to bed. There weren't any pots and pans. We didn't have any noisemakers. We didn't parade around the room, and we didn't go out and parade around the neighborhood. And as I thought about that this week, I thought about the many other New Year's Eves before that when our kids were even smaller. Years where we didn't stay up, or years where we tried to stay up because we had been up the night before with children. We had put on reruns of Mythbusters, and we fell asleep. Our snoring greeting the new year. I share that this morning because I think it's true. So often, those things that once elicited excitement, those things that we once looked forward to with eager anticipation, those things that once captivated our imaginations and our hearts, they become ordinary, they become mundane, they become things that we just gloss over in life. Maybe the magic's gone. Maybe the excitement dissipates or disappears. Sadly, I think the same can happen oftentimes when it comes to our walk with God. When it comes to our reading of Scripture. We hear those stories, those familiar stories, and they become just that. Something that we gloss over or move on. Oh, I already know that story. Can we get to the punchline to the end? And maybe sometimes it happens in our worship. We know the words to the prayer and we just kind of say them without ever thinking about what we're saying. Something that was once commanding of shouts and joy and just elicited all kinds of eager anticipation on our parts, it becomes commonplace. Where once we were captivated, we just kind of skim over and set it to the side. But here we are in this season of the church year known as Epiphany, a time where we talk about light bulbs coming on and people seeing new things, maybe for the first time, or maybe revisiting old things and become awakened to them again as if for the first time. And during this season of Epiphany, I found myself returning to those familiar stories of Jesus, ones such as those that we read today, ones that talk about the old being gone and the new coming, God doing a new thing in the lives of His people. And I've been trying to put myself, I've been trying to put myself into those stories. To view them maybe as if for the first time once again. And I love this snapshot from Jesus' life that John records for us. This snapshot that we read just moments ago of His being at this wedding in Cana. 
It's a situation. It's, it's something that we can all relate to because we've been there. We've been to the weddings. We know what it is to, to go to the celebrations following and there's cake and food and all the fun that's going on. It's a scenario that we can all relate to. But in this snapshot, John the Gospel writer tells us something extraordinary happened. Something miraculous. Jesus' first miracle, in fact. They run out of wine. They run out of one of the things that's fueling this party that's integral to what is taking place. They run out of it. And where there's now scarcity, where there's lack, Jesus steps in and He does the miraculous. He does something that the crowd did not anticipate. But before we get there, let's focus in. They've run out of wine and there are these water jugs that are sitting by. John tells us they hold 20 to 30 gallons. They're stone water jugs. These are the kind of water jugs, John tells us, that are used for purification rites. They've been used for ceremonial purposes. They've been used because stone doesn't have the ability to become contaminated like some of the other forms of pottery and stoneware that are out or, and wares that are out there. It doesn't become unclean on its own. And so they were used for this religious purpose. But stop and think about that this morning. This This jug that Jesus used, these jugs that he utilizes to perform this miracle, they were used as part of a system, a system based on scarcity. They're part of a system in which each sin had a cost. They're part of a system in which each crime or each wrongdoing that you committed had a consequence. They're part of a system where each washing only goes so far. And I thought about that again this week, and maybe if you're at all like me, you look down at your hands this morning and you think, oh my goodness, what happened? I told Crystal the other night, I felt like my hands have aged about 40 years over these last three years. And then I thought back to why that is. We find ourselves in the middle of a pandemic. We find ourselves in this season in which we're told that hand washing and and those very basic things of hygiene can help stave off and prevent the spread of COVID-19 and many other things. And it seems like at every turn now, I'm washing my hands. In fact, I counted between services and I washed my hands three times and I sanitized them twice. And that was just between services this morning. And you extrapolate that over the course of a week or a few months or even the last few years, and now I can very quickly see why my hands look like they've aged 40 years. They're wrinkly, they're pruny, they're scaly in ways that they never were. And they're that way because I realize that one cleaning only goes so far. Right? I washed my hands after I did the greeting line at the first service because I had touched umpteen number of hands and who knows what germs and bacteria and all those things could have happened. And then I found myself, well, just doing a little bit of cleanup in a situation that I found myself in. And I thought, well, before I do anything else, I should probably clean my hands again. And isn't it true? That's how washing and purification was in the Old Testament. 
It lasted, but for a time, and then that washing had to take place again, or that sin offering had to be offered up again. And so these water jugs are part of this system, this system of scarcity, this system of lack, this system where there's always a need. But Jesus takes, he takes these water jugs, these reminders of lack, of need, of constant purification, and he transforms them. He tells the servants to fill them up to the brim. They're no longer empty. They're no longer is just enough, but they are filled up to the brim. And then these servants are told to take from the top and give it to the chief steward. And what the chief steward finds is unexpected. What the chief steward encounters in that moment is not what he expected, and it's not what anyone else expected, because it's not water, it's wine. But friends, here is the part that I think sometimes we miss. It's not just your regular, everyday, run-of-the-mill sort of wine. It's not the type of wine that you might find, find on the table of a Jewish household at dinner time every day. No, this is special wine. This is the choice wine. This is the wine that is remarkable. It's the very best of the best. It's wine that the chief steward recognizes that is superior to the others. And he says, how could this be served now? This is the stuff that you usually give at the beginning when people, when people can taste it, enjoy it, and appreciate it. But it's filled to the brim. Each of these jugs. Scarcity, that lack, it's replaced with abundance. The old, never quite really sufficient, is replaced with the new. Not just the old sacrificial system, but God's grace is now infused into this situation. God's unmerited favor dawns in this moment. And it's not just enough, it's abundant. You see, Jesus' actions at this banquet make it clear in him the old is gone, the new has come. God is up to something new. And I'm sure... I'm sure this was evident to Mary. Mary, the mother of Jesus, who, if you remember, had this angelic visitation and said she was going to be with child and this child was not going to be like any other. And she said, Lord, may it be unto me as you have said. And in that moment of submission, in that moment of saying to God, yes, do with me, use me however you will. I'm sure it came back in this moment because now lived out before her very eyes is clear evidence that Jesus is no ordinary son. He is no ordinary man. No, he is God in flesh and blood. He and he alone can turn water to wine. But it's also quite likely, many scholars believe that by this point in time, Mary has become widowed. Joseph is no longer there, so she's now depending upon Jesus to provide for her, to care for her, to look out for her, to solve her problems. And Jesus, I'm sure, did a great job of it. 
It might be for those very reasons that Mary, when she sees the lack, when she sees the need, when she sees a problem that needs to be solved, she doesn't turn to anyone else, but she turns to Jesus. And she does turn to him. And she tells the stewards, she tells the servants to listen to him. And Jesus meets the need. In fact, he goes above and beyond. He gives more than enough, and he gives the very best. The old is gone, the new has come. And friends, God wants to do a new thing in us. He wants the old in us to be gone. And he wants us to experience new life, life to the full, John 10.10 says. He wants us to experience life to the full, life to the brim, life to its utmost in him. And he wants us to have that experience, I believe, just as those at the wedding at Cana had that experience so that the glory of God can be put on display and so that others can come to believe just as the disciples came to believe in those moments. Friends, we are Jesus' modern-day disciples, his followers. And like those disciples of old, you know what? We do face challenges. We face difficulties. We face that desire to remain in control of our lives. But like the disciples and like all those at Cana, we have that challenge constantly before us to submit to him. Say, God, here's my life. Here are the things of my life where I'm experiencing lack, where I have need, where I don't feel like I have enough. I trust in you. And I'm not necessarily talking in physical ways or means, but I'm talking about maybe some peace that might be lacking in your life, or, or maybe you seem short on hope. Maybe you're beginning to despair. Maybe there's a lack of contentment. I want to remind you this morning that we serve a God, a God who is bigger than those things, a God who can speak to those things, a God who can do something in those areas. Today we're reminded that as we turn to Christ in faith, he is able to do immeasurably more than we could ever hope or imagine as Paul reminds those Ephesian Christians. We serve a God who can take our lack, who can take our need, who can take our scarcity, and he can fill up those empty places within us, and he can fill them up to the brim. We serve a God in whom the old is gone and the new has come. I don't know about you, but as I hear this story of the wedding at Cana this morning, as I thought about it again this week, this is, this is a snapshot from the life of Jesus that doesn't deserve us just to turn the page. No, it deserves the clanging of pots and pans. 
I mean, this is the kind of stuff that, right, it is worthy of celebration, and it's worth truly, if we had enough pots and pans and broomsticks and handles and whatever this morning, we should be marching around this building, and we should not just be doing it in here, but we should be doing it outside, because this is the best news in all the world. We serve a God who is not confined by what we deem possible. We serve a God who is not confined by what we see and the lack and the scarcity and those things that we may be feeling at the moment. We serve a God who says, fill it up to the brim. We serve a God who can take our scarcity and lack and he can produce the finest, the finest wine we could ever perceive. But the thing is, it's only if we listen. And I think Mary was onto something when she said that. Listen to everything he says. Do as he has said. And see, that's the thing for us, right? We have to be attentive. We have to be responsive to what God desires to do in us and through us. And that only happens if we're watching, if we're waiting, if we're preparing, and if we are ready to celebrate. And so I want to challenge you. As we head into this next week, may each and every one of us read God's Word every day in such a way that we have this fervent desire in our hearts to encounter the living God. Amen? This is not some stale book. This is not just history. No, this is the revelation of God himself. And do we approach God's word with the fervency that we believe that God will meet us there, that he will speak to us, that he will reveal himself and his will and his way to us because we're searching and seeking. Scripture says, if we seek, we will find. And may we enter into our times of prayer each and every day with that same kind of fervency, a fervent heart that desires not only to share what's going on in our lives, but to hear the very voice of God himself. So may we find ways this week just to get off by ourselves and to listen for that still, quiet voice of God. And maybe here's the biggest one. May we in the days to come find ways to submit more fully to God's revelation, to what he shares with us about his will and his way and his word, what he speaks to us in the power of his Holy Spirit as we're listening in our times of prayer. But may we submit to him more fully so that we reach that point that Jesus did, that even during the most challenging seasons of life, we can literally say to God, not my will, but your will be done. Friends, God is doing a new thing, amen? He is creating a new people. He is creating his kingdom 
And may he do a new thing in our hearts. May he do a new thing in our lives in such a way that he would be honored and glorified, that others might come to believe that people would see Christ in us, the hope of glory, both both now and forever. Amen and amen. I'm going to ask that you bow with me in prayer this morning. And after I've prayed for us, I'm going to ask that you join with me in the Lord's Prayer. And then we'll join together in our closing song, which is Waymaker this morning. Gracious God, our Heavenly Father, we quiet ourselves before you this day. And Lord, we confess that we have a lot to learn. We're not the same people that we used to be. You are changing. You are transforming our minds and our hearts. You are slowly and surely making us more and more like Christ. But Father, there's still a long way to go. There are still areas that we need to submit to you. There are still aspects of our lives that we like to to continue to rest control of. But Father, teach us today. Teach us your will. Teach us your way. And help us to walk in it. As we read your word in the days to come, may we get a glimpse of your mind and your heart, your plans and purposes for us, your people. As we spend time in prayer with you, may we hear your voice speaking to us, challenging us to step out in faith, trusting you in new and different ways. And Father, as we worship together as a community, we pray that you would continue to lead us, to lead us in such a way that, Lord, we would, we would be those people that Christ, that would, we would be those people that others see Christ in us, the hope of glory. That, Lord, as we serve as witnesses to you and to your grace at our places of work, our in our homes, in those places where we play around the community. But Lord, there would be others who would desire to walk with you. That there would be others who would desire to walk in relationship with you. But Lord, use us, we pray. And now as we continue in prayer, we pray as Jesus himself taught us. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen.